evening, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tectonic. My name is Mark Hurst. I'll be your host for the next hour here on WFMU. Freeform Station of the Nation, live from Jersey City and downtown Jersey City <laughs> in the great state of New Jersey. We're in Studio B again. Always a fun time being in uh, in the long, narrow studio in preparation for the marathon coming up next week. Happy you're with me, and I'm happy to be with you. We're going to be talking about dystopia this evening. I've got a dystopia update for the hour. And I'm going to explain more in a moment what that means. Um... But before, before I get into the dysopia update, I have a few things I want to talk about um, around the station and, and some other things. First is I just want to let you know uh, that the WFMU fundraising marathon is going to be starting one week from today. It starts at, I think it's 6 a.m. Eastern on uh, Monday, a week, a week from today. And uh, what is that? March 4. And... Um, that's going to kick off two weeks of fundraising uh, in which we're going to be uh, asking you, the listeners, to support the station for another year. Um, we are, we're going to have the, the, the fundraising marathon. If you've never heard the marathon before, this is some of my favorite WFMU programming across the entire year, um, in part because of the, the DJ tag teams that we have. We always have... Uh, the regular host, and then one other DJ from somewhere else on the schedule joining them as a, co- as a co-host. And you hear the interactions between these two people who normally are not on the air together. And it's always, it's always very entertaining. It's, it's unusual. It's exciting. It's funny. Um, and I, I, I always find myself listening to hours and hours and hours on end of marathon shows just because they're so interesting. Um, also, yes, for those of you who have heard the marathon before, Yola Tango is coming back. They're going to be playing uh, your requests um, for pledges. That's going to be on Tuesday, March 12. So you can mark your calendar. Tuesday, March 12 on Jesse Jarno's show called The Frau Show that goes from 9 p.m. Eastern to midnight. Um, Yola Tengo will be sitting in, playing live, uh, playing your requests. So you can, um, you can look forward to that. And if you want to make an early pledge, you can go to wfmu.org slash pledge. And if you want to be a volunteer and be at the station, meet some of your fellow listeners, volunteers, DJs, staffers, uh, you could do that. Just send uh, Scott sense you can hear Matt Warwick singing in the background <laughs> send Scott Williams an email he's at scott at wfmu.org and maybe I'll see you there um, so I'm really looking forward to it and uh, that's that's the marathon show, showing up in one week from today the next thing I want to tell you about are two events happening at the end of this week in Jersey City, in which I will be uh, hosting or co-hosting, and I'd let if you're in the New York area or somewhere um, in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, uh, Delaware, Pennsylvania area, I hope you'll come up to to one or both of these. Um, the first one is going to be this Friday night, uh, and links to these are on the playlist at wfmu.org. Click playlists and comments, and you can see links to both of these events. The first one is, is an event called Night of Ideas, and it's being put on in Jersey City. Uh, WFMU is not putting on the event, but we're participating. We're one of the presenters. There are many, many presenters um, from, from a bunch of different uh, disciplines, artistic and uh, thoughtful, creative uh, speakers are going to be in, um, in downtown Jersey City at a venue near Journal Square, and the event is free. Uh, but you have to sign up ahead of time. And I've put the link to RCP on the playlist. Um, everything is at nightofideas.org. If you go to that uh, homepage, then you got to uh, look for this. It's in a bunch of different cities, but you just look up Jersey City and you'll see the event. My presentation is going to be talking about music in the age of streaming services. 
Um, I'm the moderator of a conversation with two experts in this, uh, in this subject. One is Damon Krakowski, who's a past guest. He's been on, I think, twice in the past. Uh, and the other is Liz Pelly, who's written a lot about streaming services. And actually, Liz is going to be on Tectonic soon, uh, in a few weeks. Uh, Lily Wen is going to be guest hosting for me, and, uh, and Liz Pelly is going to be on the show as her guest. But if you'd like to see Liz Pelly live, Damon Krakowski live, uh, and, or, and or me, come on out to Night of Ideas this Friday, March 1st, in the evening. And you can see the, uh, the event homepage at nightofideas.org and the schedule there. The links are, uh, again, on the playlist at wfmu.org. Click playlists and comments. The, the, the other thing, and this is the, the, uh, the, the last event I wanted to tell you about, is this Saturday at WFMU, at WFMU's performance space called Monty Hall, here in uh, downtown Jersey City, 43 Montgomery Street, we're, um, we're going to be screening Total Trust, which is a documentary about the Chinese surveillance state. I've brought this up on, on a past show, but it's coming up this Saturday, and it'd be great if you would come out to this. Tickets are 15 bucks. Everything goes to the station as a, as a benefit to the station. And um, Albert Fox Kahn, who's a past guest, is going to be joining me for Q&A after we screen the documentary. He's the director of STOP, Surveillance Technology Oversight Project. And you'll see him quoted a lot in the news whenever there's, a, there's an article about um, the growing surveillance state uh, in New York and beyond. So I'm really excited that Albert is going to be with us. And um, the documentary, I've seen it, and it's really, it's worth seeing. It's chilling footage um, taken at great personal risk by activists in, um, in China showing the extent of the surveillance state there. And it's really, I view it as a warning to all of us here in the U.S., uh, because the pieces are in place for the same sort of thing to happen here. So let's watch Total Trust and have a good discussion afterwards this Saturday at WFMU at, in Monty Hall, our performance space. Again, tickets are 15 bucks, And you can see the link to total, the Total Trust screening to buy the tickets um, on the playlist. Go to WFMU.org, click Playlists and Comments. And if you're listening in the next couple of days, to a podcast or archive version of the show, you can find that link if you go to the playlist. Go to tectonic.fm, T-E-C-H tonic.fm, and click the playlist link for the February 26, 2024 show. And uh, again, uh, hope, you'll, hope you'll be there for one or both of these events, Friday, March 1st at Night of Ideas, or Saturday, March 2nd at the screening of Total Trust here at WFMU at Monty Hall. And I'll, I will be at both of those events. So hopefully I'll get a chance to say hi to some of you listeners. And um, thanks, uh, thank you for all your support and attention over the years. All right. So that's, those are all the events coming. It's a busy season, <laughs> as you can tell. But I'm excited to be a part of it, as always. I'm really happy to be part of the WFMU family. And I'm happy that you're here with us. And... I am happy to describe to you what's happening with our growing dystopia. And I don't, <clears throat> you know, a lot of times I say things, uh, it, some people think maybe I'm doing a bit or I'm exaggerating or uh, having a little fun with language. No, no. When I say I'm going to give you an update of the dystopia, uh, that's exactly what I mean. I, I, I mean that there are dystopian technologies, dystopian policies, and trends afoot, and you deserve to know about them. And uh, I, would, I would feel remiss if I did not uh, take, take a, a show every few weeks to let you know what's going on all around us. And the first thing that I want to tell you about is the, um, the news from the New York Times from February 20. So this is just, uh, just last week. The headline is NYPD drones carrying rafts could join lifeguards in beach rescues. Okay, did you, did you get all of that? NYPD, drones, rafts, lifeguards, beach rescues. There's a lot going on here. So 
The idea here is Mayor Eric Adams, uh, the same mayor who brought us the giant police Roomba that sat idle in the Times Square subway station, this this giant 800-pound surveillance thing, that ju- surveillance brick, really. I'm not sure what it did. It has a camera on it, and uh, it seemed to always have three or four cops standing around making sure it didn't get into trouble or no one caused trouble for it. It, it was a... It just seemed like a complete waste. Um, but every time the media covers Eric Adams, they mention that he's a he's a gadget head or a technophile or really interested in in technological quote unquote innovation. And so, as though that that uh, excuses this ongoing waste of of taxpayer funds for these unnecessary surveillance um, flights of fancy. So after this Roomba, and I believe the Roomba has been removed uh, from the Times Square station. The last I saw, it was in some like abandoned broom closet somewhere, just collecting dust. Now he's on to the next idea. And this is the idea. Um, the New York City has a bunch of beaches, and they're public beaches. It's, it's a great part of the city. We're a beach city here. And we need lifeguards because you got to keep people safe, make sure people aren't going out too far or whatever in the water. The problem is that there has been some labor dispute ongoing between the lifeguard union and the city. I don't know the details, but I know the outcome is that the city has been struggling to fill all the lifeguard slots that they need to fill in order to keep the beaches open. So if you're the mayor and you're not able to hire enough lifeguards to to watch the, the, the beachgoers and swimmers at your beaches, what do you do? A... You focus on negotiations with the unions and, I guess, increase the pay or whatever you have to do in order to get a new contract and fill out those slots. You know, there's, there's a lot of people who – New York City has a lot of people in it. You can surely find enough people to be lifeguards on those beaches. So that's, that's option A is to handle the labor dispute and hire the lifeguards. Or option B – you can leave the shortage where it is and hire surveillance drones from the police department. And uh, that's, of course, what our quote-unquote technophile mayor has decided to do. So he's announced that the New York Police Department is going to start floating drones, camera-equipped drones, over the beachgoers on public beaches because we can't get enough lifeguards. Now, you may be thinking... How do we get from we need more lifeguards to now we're going to have police surveillance looking down on people uh, sunbathing on the beaches? Well, not to worry, the mayor says, what's going to happen, you see, is that the drones are going to carry rafts out to the people who are drowning. You see, so the, the drone is kind of like a lifeguard. You get it? So if someone swims out too far and they say, help, help, the police magically are going to know, <laughs> even though there's no lifeguard, they're magically going to know that there's a swimmer who's in distress and they're going to attach a raft to a drone and float it out to, fly it out to the swimmer and accurately drop the raft to the swimmer who will then grab on the raft and then magically be able to uh, get themselves back to shore, uh, notwithstanding any any riptides or, or currents carrying them out to the ocean. No, no. If you can just get a drone to drop a raft in the general vicinity of a distressed swimmer, magically that swimmer will be able to get themselves back to the beach on the raft without any interaction from a human lifeguard. I mean, points for creativity. Uh, maybe Mayor Adams should be a sci-fi writer. Maybe he should be writing um, short stories for, for science fiction magazines because that, that is a true flight of fancy, that all of those parts of, of the chain of action uh, would come to pass and these drones would actually act in that way and, and thereby uh, r- replacing the lifeguards that the mayor apparently does not want to settle the labor dispute with. I mean, just amazing, the thinking here. Now, there's one other possibility here, which I'm just going to float it, so to speak, 
to you, and you can decide if, if you think this is legitimate or not. The police <clears throat> love to have new opportunities to install new surveillance gear. And you'll remember, just a few months ago, Labor Day 2023, the New York City Police Department, via Mayor Adams, announced that they were going to be floating drones over people's backyards, uh, over people's backyard barbecues, because that's what people do on Labor Day. They have barbecues in the backyard. And police drones are going to be floating over people's private property, their private barbecues, purely for their safety and convenience, you understand, to allow the police an intimate view of who's in whose backyards and enjoying, you know, which beverages and talking to whom. I don't I don't I, I, I actually don't know why the police need that level of intrusive surveillance, nor do I know why the police think they need to float drones over beachgoers. Why? Just why? Just why? But if I think about the possibility of a, a raft being delivered to a distressed swimmer, I mean, that's a total non-starter. So the only thing that I can come back to is, much like the drones floating over Labor Day barbecues, the police are looking for a new way to surveil New York citizens. And floating drones over the beaches allows them to do that. Again, I don't know why it does. It's not like the beaches are a constant source of terrorist activity. I don't know why the police need to be surveilling the beaches. They're a pretty chilled out place. Uh, and really, if you want police on the beaches, you know what's a good way to get police on the beaches is to get police on the beaches, not to float drones. In the same way that if you want lifeguards, say it with me, people, get lifeguards. I don't know. It's, it reminds me of the school district in Kentucky at the beginning of the school year, right around the time of those Labor Day barbecues. There was a school district in Kentucky, September of 2023, that decided because they couldn't get enough bus drivers, they would hire a company in Boston to rewrite all their bus routes using um, special algorithms. And of course, it was a disaster. There, there simply weren't enough bus drivers. And so kids were getting home at 9 p.m., 10 p.m. at night. And what I said then is what I still say now. If you want more bus drivers, why don't you hire more bus drivers? I, I just, I don't get it. Why do we have to go to faulty technology, expensive, faulty, error-prone technology when you could just hire the people to do the job that they've always done in the past. What is the problem with hiring people these days? I don't know. All right, so that's the NYPD drone. Uh, by the way, I keep getting these, these headlines week after week of cameras popping up in unusual and totally um, <clears throat> worrying places like floating over you on the beach when you're trying to relax and have a good time. Well, there's another place, which is the hospital operating room. This time it's not a drone. It's a fixed surveillance camera. Uh, this is from Ars Technica about a month ago. <clears throat> Excuse me. There was an article that Ars Technica wrote called AI Black Box Placed in More Hospital Operating Rooms to Improve Safety. And it says AI-powered surveillance tech is quickly making its way into hospital operating rooms around the country where it works to constantly collect audio, video, patient vital signs, and a wealth of other surgical data, all in the name of improving safety and efficiency. I like how they said that, all in the name of safety and efficiency, because this is, of course, there's always the pledge, the claim, the promise, the boast, the sales pitch, what have you, that says this is for the safety of citizens. This is for the safety of the patients on the operating table. What they don't say is who has access to the data and what are their aims? What are their incentives and motivations to use that surveillance data in ways that are beyond the consent or even the awareness of the citizens or the patients who are under anesthesia? So if you go into an operating room, I, I wonder, do you feel more safe if there's a surveillance camera looking at your body being cut into 
with that data going into the cloud, being hosted by some company, who knows, maybe you have to sign away terms and conditions before you go in there. And what is the data policy? Who knows? And of course, there's, there's the inevitability of hacks, leaks, and so on. Does it actually improve efficiency and safety? Again, I come back to the same, to the same thing. Why do we think that if we have a problem with our safety in operating rooms, why do we think that a surveillance camera is magically going to fix that? If you think you've got a problem with QA with your surgeons, I'm just going to float an idea here. Why don't you talk to the surgeons? And why don't you have a QA process to evaluate the surgeon? Why do you think surveillance data is going to fix it? I just don't understand. Operating rooms, beaches, backyard barbecues are not going to be fixed with surveillance cameras. I, I have never seen a, a viable, defendable argument that convinces me that this stuff is actually helping. It's, it's more likely that it's feeding other agendas that we're not being told about. And instead, we're only getting the sales pitch. Oh, it's for your safety. Um, and this, is, this brings, me, brings, brings me to the next headline, which is the article that everyone's been talking about in the, in, in the last week. This is from February 23, again, just, just a few days ago. Vending machine error, this is Ars Technica again, vending machine error reveals secret face image database of college students. Okay, so here in Canada, there's the University of Waterloo. And uh, on, the, on the campus, as of a few days ago, there were vending machines where college students could go and buy some M&Ms. And I believe it was one of those um, single brand M um, vending machines. Have you seen those? I guess sometimes, you know, if it's branded Coke, it's only Coke products. Um, and I think there are vending machines that are only for M&Ms. Okay, so you, maybe they have the regular, the peanut different sizes, I don't know. It's just all M&Ms. And this is important because the vending machine is not some rando company that just does weird items in, in vending machines. This is uh, M&M Mars. The company uh, itself that makes M&Ms was responsible for these vending machines that were only selling its own products, okay? So a college student goes up to buy some M&Ms. It's been on campus, who knows how long? I, I didn't say in that article, but maybe it had been on campus for a year, two years. College student goes up to buy some M&Ms, right? They put in the money. And then there's an error on the screen because now all vending machines, they can't be <laughs> like the good old days when you put in money and press a button and the thing came out. No, they need, they need uh, little computer displays now. And of course, with all the software running inside vending machines, it makes it um, much more likely that at some point there's going to be an error which is what had happened to this particular M&M's vending machine. So the college student notices that there was an error message and that prevented, uh, prevented the, the student from getting the, the requested M&M's. And the, and the error message, you ever see this when a, when a digital screen is, is on the blink and all it has is some weird error code and it's exposing to you the internal you know, names of functions in the software inside under the hood and that's what was happening here the error message said in venda dot <clears throat> vending dot facial recognition dot app dot exe application error <laughs> and so the college student goes huh here i am at a vending machine trying to buy m m's and there's an error message that says something about facial recognition application error that's not what I would expect from a vending machine buying, you know, going through a simple act of buying some candy. And they did some further investigation and word spread. And it turns out that after some intensive investigation of these vending machines, it turns out the vending machines were indeed outfitted with facial recognition cameras and software. So, when at University of Waterloo over the past year or two, however long it's been, college students wanted to go and buy some candy, there was a facial recognition camera and software application that was quietly working and sucking down their personally identifiable information, 
without their knowledge or consent. And of course, every, everyone went bananas. How dare you? You know, I don't want facial recognition. Get it off the campus. And so uh, there just today reported by Insider, Feb 26, the University of Waterloo is expected to remove smart vending machines from its campus. And here again, as I've said over the years, when you hear the word smart, you have to replace the word smart with the word surveillance. So let's try it again. The University of Waterloo is expected to remove surveillance vending machines from its campus, which is the right thing to do, of course. Um, and let's see, Adaria Vending Services said the technology doesn't take or store customers' photos, <clears throat> um, which is an interesting defense. Oh, sure, we're, we're doing facial recognition and we capture all sorts of data, but it's not like we're taking your photo and storing it. No, you know, that's not what facial recognition necessarily does. It uses a camera to get the, the distances between your pupils and the nose and the mouth in order to build a little, a little uh, model in linear algebra of your face. It's not an actual photograph. It's, it's a mathematical model, a representation of your biometric data that identifies you, that, that, that is actually more accurate than a, a simple photograph would be. And so it, it's, such a, it's such a dumb excuse that they say, oh, well, we weren't taking your photo anyway. That's, that's totally beside the point. It's a smokescreen. You were surveilling college students beyond their knowledge or consent as they were trying to buy candy. So totally stupid, right? But here's the thing. <clears throat> a few weeks ago, I had Jason uh, Kebler on the show from 404 Media, who had written this really interesting story from New Jersey about how, to, how the state of New Jersey had used COVID relief funds in order to buy, <clears throat> excuse me, in order to buy surveillance cameras built by banned, a banned Chinese tech company in order to install those surveillance cameras to spy on New Jersey citizens as they drove on the roads and highways of New Jersey. Now, the only, th this is the point I'm driving out of here. The only way we found out about all of the banned Chinese surveillance cameras being installed is because someone, um, th this, this, the story the story got leaked to this journalist, and he was able to find out what was happening. As I said in my interview with Jason, if, we, if, the, if the leak had not come out to Jason, we would not have heard about this, which suggests that there are probably stories like this all over the country that we have not heard about. This is, the, this is what came to mind when I heard the Eminem story. The only reason we heard about facial recognition in M&M's vending machines is because one vending machine had an error one day that mentioned the facial recognition.exe. And you can believe those software engineers are going to start uh, renaming their function calls. But anyway, what that says to me is that not only are smart, let's say, surveillance vending machines surveilling college students, we probably have no idea of the level of surveillance that goes on in consumer retail all around us every day, okay? Vending machines. You can just assume now, when you go to a vending machine, if it has a, a digital touchscreen, meaning it's a recent model vending machine, you can just go ahead and assume that your personally identifiable uh, information, your PII, is gonna be stolen by that vending machine. Moreover, when you walk into chain grocery stores, chain drug stores, any kind of national chain, chain clothing stores, you can just assume, it may not be the case, but it's probably a good idea to go ahead and assume that there are cameras and other biometric sensors arranged outside of your vision around the store in order to capture your PII, in order for the company to monetize it in different ways. We, and this is, again, as promised, this is your dystopia update. We are now living in a society where if you want to buy a little bag of candy from a vending machine, 
you're going to be surveilled. And your data, your facial data, is going to be sent off somewhere and maybe traded on, on the market <clears throat> of surveillance data. You don't know. You have no knowledge, nor do you have any control over what happens to it. That's the dystopia that we're living in now. It's, it's very concerning. And of course, what should happen now is not simply that the University of Waterloo removes its surveillance vending machines. I mean, that's, that's fine, but you know, whack-a-mole like that is not going to solve this problem. What should happen is we sh and you know, uh, let me speak for Canada as well, because here we are in the U.S., both of our countries should have national privacy laws that say you are unable to do this. Um, and it, it, by the way, the, uh, apparently around the vending machine, one of the uh, defenses was, well, our vending machines are GDPR compliant, <laughs> which I, it's hard for me to, because of course Canada is, um, is under the jurisdiction of GDPR, but it's, it's hard for me to understand how that's the case. Did they have a little pop-up before you buy the M&Ms that says, click here for us to, uh, to suck down all of your private information. We're going to be scanning your face. There was no disclosure. I don't think that's GDPR compliant. But we, we need a strong, here I can speak for the U.S., we need a strong national privacy law. If you want something that, uh, if, you need, if you need a theme for your next letter to your uh, federal uh, elected representatives and, 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 and senators, that's something to say. Let's get a national privacy law and get this at the root so these companies are unable to do this. So that's, that is your dystopia update in terms of surveillance. Now I want to go to a quick audio clip, <clears throat> and this will just underline what I'm saying. This is just from a few days ago. Uh, this was a conversation in, in a series called Studio B Unscripted, not the Studio B I'm at now, but some other Studio B, and it was from February 22, just four days ago, uh, hosted by Camille Francois, and she was interviewing Meredith Whitaker, who's the president of Signal, which is a, uh, a secure messaging app, app, excuse me, and is a, uh, a longtime privacy advocate. And uh, Camille Francois was asking her, what can we do to, to mitigate some of the unjust effects of this surveillance uh, structure that, that we're dealing with. And Meredith had a really interesting, uh, she had a really interesting response that I want to play for you so you can see just what this, this very experienced person, this expert in the field says about what we're facing. Again, this is Meredith Whitaker just a few days ago on AI and surveillance capitalism from Studio B Unscripted. More of the problem doesn't solve the problem. That's right. Right? So I think, you know, I never understood the basis for an assertion that, like, well, you know, we have a little bit of trash and that makes a trashy model, but let's pour a bunch more trash on there. Oh, because that's going to clean it up. Right? There's a, you know, magical thinking and I think a, a real, like, almost emotional desire by a lot of the true believers to avoid the fact that maybe some of these problems are intractable. Maybe we can't sort of, you know, create a data set that's unbiased because, of course, data is always reflecting the perspective of its creators, and that is always biased, right? How do we change this paradigm? How do we make sure that the people who also work on making technology safer, more fair, more responsible, uh, their efforts can also be accelerated and their voice can be centered in the way we talk about AI? I mean, I don't think that's a technical problem, mm -hmm. right? That is a problem of the incentives that are driving the tech industry, which are not social benefit, right? You know, you and I know we got in the way of these people a lot. It was not always appreciated. And I always loved your, your willingness to ask those questions anyway. But I was pushed out of Google for asking these questions, right? For loudly asking these questions, for organizing around these questions, right? So there is a point at which... You know, when you're talking billions of dollars versus a livable future, we have a system that is choosing billions of dollars repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. And in the context of a system that is now giving this kind of authority, surveillance and social control capabilities to a handful of actors, I think that is a that's an alarm worth raising pretty broadly. OK, so I thought Meredith put it very well. Again, that was Meredith Whitaker, president of Signal. Um, talking a few days ago about AI and surveillance capitalism. And she said, 
she said, and she knows, as she said, she previously was at Google. She was pushed out for asking questions about uh, the Google's model and the level of ethics or lack thereof in, in Google's uh, behavior. And she put it in stark terms that I would agree with. On the one hand, you have billions of dollars at stake. And on the other hand, you have the possibility of building a livable society, you know, with a civil democratic society. And the trillion plus dollar companies that are leading the economy consistently make choice A, which is they go for the money. And, and even, even if it harms the prospects of a democratic society, they're going to go for the money. So there you have it from the president of Signal, uh, the the sad state of affairs that that we're uh, that we are uh, facing. So let me go on and move on to um, one more story on surveillance. Then I want to talk about generative AI. The next story on surveillance I want to talk about is. Uh, this is from the New York Times. This is from February 20, 2024. Again, just last week, the headline was, When Eyes in the Sky Start Looking Right at You. The reason I want to tell you about this story is because so far I've been telling you about surveillance uh, beyond your knowledge or control or ability to appeal that, that, uh, that aids in the, um, in the incentives of governments to spy on citizens or trillion dollar or two trillion dollar monopolies to grow at any cost. And the the technologies that we've been talking about so far are surveillance cameras, drones with surveillance cameras, and uh, the proliferation of all those. But if we cast our view a little bit further up and a little bit further out, we can see something very interesting happening. There is a company called Albedo, I think that's Albedo, Albedo, uh, which let me just read you a pull quote from this story from the Times. Albedo has designed spy satellites that can resolve items down to 10 centimeters long. That's four inches long. Previously, surveillance cameras in space could only see things a meter or more long. Not to worry, though. Uh, I'm going to get to not to worry. Let me just stop there for a second. So the, the state of the art with surveillance cameras, this is why I wanted to give you this headline. The state of the art with surveillance cameras is now there are companies that want to put them in space that, and we, we just talked about satellites in space uh, recently with Samantha Lawler about Elon Musk's thousands of satellites and the possibility of the Kessler effect. Now we're talking about spy satellites that are outfitted with cameras that can identify you on the ground from space. So they're going to have cameras soon enough that can see things that are four inches long. They can identify things that are four inches long. And as long as your uh, physical, um, I, I don't know, projection from, from a vertical uh, aspect is, is larger than four inches, which all of us are, there is a good chance that you will be identified by space spy satellites that are, uh, that are launched by this company. And, of course, once this company does it, all the others are going to want the same precision in their cameras. Now, not to worry that, and this is not a quote from the, from, from the story, this is my own comment, that Albedo later in the article claims that they're going to make sure only the good guys are going to use their cameras. Because, of course, if that surveillance came into the hands of the wrong people, which is to say uh, growth at any cost, predatory companies that are uh, increasingly ruling the economy, imagine what kind of mayhem they could unleash when they're choosing the billions of dollars over a civil society. So Albedo says, don't worry, we're going to have a rigorous application process and only the good guys will be able to use our spy satellites. We're only going to use surveillance for good. We, prom we double, triple promise. <clears throat> and if you have followed this show for any length of time, you know just how much a promise like that is actually worth. So, yes, your dystopia update includes that one little kicker that as much as you're being watched by vending machines 
and grocery stores and drug stores and everything else, soon enough, you're going to be watched from space every single time you walk out of your door. And all I could say is, if you don't like it, we need regulation. I mean, that's the only thing that's... You, the companies are never going to change on their own. And the only, other, the only other player in this entire equation is the government, which I know has its own reasons to want to spy on us. But th that's the only chance we've got is for a democratic government to actually turn around and start serving the needs of its citizens and say, no more. Nobody's going to surveil these citizens without a warrant. Uh, and without, without uh, going through the proper process that we're going to set up. But right now, it's just the Wild West. Anyone sends up a satellite, start spying uh, on you immediately. All right, so there's your surveillance dystopia update. I want to move, in the time we have left, um, I want to move to generative AI. Let me just say, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Tectonic on WFMU, my name is Mark Hurst. I'm on for another 15 minutes. And then Dave Mandel, who's going to give you more prog than you can handle, is going to come on with his show. It's called It's Complicated. And I hope you'll stay tuned for that at the, at the uh, bottom of the hour. Um, I want to talk to you about generative AI because something really weird happened. Generative AI, what I'm talking about here is the chatbots like ChatGPT. Um, uh, Google has launched something called Gemini. It's gone out of the gone under a number of different names, but Google for, for today's Monday, uh, the thing is called Gemini. Uh, talk to me tomorrow. Um, but anyway, ChatGPT is the big one. That's the one from OpenAI that's, that's actually from Microsoft, uh, but, but let's call it OpenAI for now. And ChatGPT is very popular with people all over the world, asking it all sorts of, of questions. And around the world, last, I think it was last Tuesday night, Everyone using ChatGPT noticed something. ChatGPT, in the words of some of the writers who've, who've commented on this, ChatGPT went haywire. And no one outside OpenAI knows why. But ChatGPT went absolutely bananas. Let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, yeah, it was Tuesday evening. ChatGPT user, this is from 404 Media, our friends there, Feb21. ChatGPT started speaking complete gibberish. Tuesday evening, ChatGPT users reported that the chatbot started providing them with answers that were clearly incorrect or just gibberish. One user showed a screenshot of a response that looked like something out of The Shining. The user had asked for, quote, synonym for overgrown. Okay, so he was looking for a synonym for the word overgrown. ChatGPT responded, a synonym for overgrown is overgrown, 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 and just went on from there. Some of the uh, words overgrown were capitalized, some weren't. Um, another user shared a screenshot where they asked ChatGPT, what is the biggest city on earth that begins with an A? Okay, what's the biggest city on earth that begins with the letter A? ChatGPT responded, the biggest city on earth, <coughs> excuse me, the biggest city on earth that begins with an A is Tokyo, Japan. Okay, that was weird. And then there was a, the, I'm just, you can see these screenshots on the playlist at WFMU.org. There's a, a user named Andre Burkhoff who wrote, uh, OpenAI has broken GPT-4. It uh, ends each reply with hallucinated garbage. So it's, I guess this, this user had asked ChatGPT something about planning a project. And ChatGPT, midway through its response, wrote, If your project's view might lead to value, or the trigger holds on the samples around the journey of the mix, any effort against the key value or any marked sort by the stripe could remain split. However, this main road on the block would walk your temples excuse me, would walk your templates with and without tailing needs hinged by some colors or the prop in the real crowd. Should your catch lay an error, note a labor feature or an ID wrap to the discussed way, opening a report or effort with the bread. Any point of info, a sky batch or a customer log would show your card. This service, the fixed script or a view to the bingo service was born a frequency expecting a long touch, a hint, a sort of color or a CMYK record to double. 
Would you rethink the mood? Or is the area failed a platform to call the local driven piece? Let me know if there's a table leg for the mark or a broader data question. So if the kids are with the description, would you need to counter their health by, or any job, the service response from a field, or the gear aside, or a bird, or a message, a hang of the search, or a meeting? Let me know if you have a cloud, a square, or a mark in this sort of engaging, and I'll be glad to offer more depth or road. Just to follow and to pin and to wonder, will you think you may drive in this beer, an old year life or the day, or any set in a way to first kind, to the reach, in the long pass of the morn, the last hand in this pair, or I'll be helping you, or to the skin, right, for their tune and from my heart, or will you call the dream to the sea, or with the bit of a company, would you sort to hang or to bed this park, or in a massive chart, the data, and it goes on from there. I mean, it's sort of poetic, the insanity of this thing, and yet very troubling that this model that now OpenAI wants to apply to Pentagon needs uh, can go haywire at any moment, and they won't tell us why. Here's, a, here's another one. I like this one quite a lot. Someone asked ChatGPT about um, planning an agenda for a meeting. Again, maybe it just isn't like talking about meetings anymore. I don't know. But here's what ChatGPT said. And yes, this is a bit of a dramatic reading, but I'm going to read it word by word. This is ChatGPT from OpenAI in the midst of a response about planning a meeting. Suggested agenda. One, coinage of the meeting and docket conflux. Five minutes. Lift off the gather and vindicate the things to be seen as centermosts for the meet. Two, development goosing and walkmark rack, 15 minutes. Ghost line the flux and trick from the first telling till now, being thankful for the outfetch and needlework on the eaves for the novial pith. Three, hitches and hefts reproof, 10 minutes. Ethel the books, any concrete scaries and the sigh of hitches with a primal house on the list for the layoff and gavel vaulting. Four, for asking and tough ship fire lining, 10 minutes. Grapnel Annie in one's sleeve lids and day tilters and the off book for gadding or grid scale into the working. Five, timecraft, Sari and Skyak, 10 minutes. Chuck it up for the big line, spare the news on the noonies, and attraction for tic-tac on the terror shank and rooming. Six, action oils and next meeting's point black. Five minutes. Slipe out the line to the new skiffs and Purdue to mount for the up and joining and the take-twos for the next meeting. And seven, and finally, Q&A and close Canuck. Five minutes. Any two fours that erst on, and a chap elation for the close as a den. And that was an excerpt of ChatGPT from OpenAI, hallucinating garbage, uh, as someone put it, in the midst of its total freakout last Tuesday evening. And again, this is not the tool that we want to put any authority into. We don't want to assign anything important to this tool, this platform, or this company. And yet, week after week, I hear and I see headlines about the, the quote-unquote advances of this tool into more and more aspects of important parts of American and global life. And in terms of American life, once again, OpenAI wants to put ChatGPT into the Pentagon so the US military can start drawing on this heap of garbage in order to, I suppose, target its missiles. Combined with the spy satellites that no doubt OpenAI and Microsoft will have access to with resolution down to four inches anywhere on Earth, uh, that gives a new cast to our dystopia update. If you put the pieces together, you can see that we are entering into some very weird and very dangerous times. The best thing that we can try to do is to stop these companies. Stop the companies. And again, 
if you want a theme for a letter to your elected representatives, just go to the headlines on the playlist of tonight's show and you're going to have plenty of ideas. I want to remind you that um, I am going to, speaking of surveillance states, I'm going to be hosting a documentary here at Monty Hall in downtown Jersey City this Saturday evening, March 2nd. Uh, doors, start at, doors open at 7.30 p.m. Show starts at 8 p.m. Tickets are 15 bucks, benefiting the station. And the documentary is called Total Trust, and it's footage of the Chinese surveillance state. This documentary is new. I've seen it. It's, uh, it's riveting. And we're going to have a discussion with Albert Fox Khan afterwards. Uh, I'll be moderating Q&A with Albert Fox Khan, talking about the growing American surveillance state and what we can learn from uh, from the experience of our our friends in in China who are the subjects of the Chinese surveillance state before it completely takes uh, takes root here in the U.S. So I hope you will come out this Saturday, March second, to WFMU to see the documentary. You can see a link to sign up and get tickets at the playlist at wfmu.org. Click playlist and comments, and. Um, and I want, you to, uh, I want you to stay tuned for Dave Mandel for his show, It's Complicated, in which he plays prog rock. Um, and I, 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 what else can I tell you, friends? The uh, dystopia update, I'm sorry to say, we're probably going to need another one within, uh, within a, a, a couple of months. So I'm going to be collecting <laughs> more headlines as these develop. And if you have some that you'd like to send me, Send them to me at mark at wfmu.org, and, uh, and I'll take a look. Um, I want to thank you for listening to the greatest radio station in the world, WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope in New York City and Rockland County, and 91.9 FM and online at wfmu.org. And your homework until next week, friends, when we will start, when we have started the fundraising marathon. And by the way, my co-host... Next week for the first marathon show is going to be station manager Ken Friedman. So I hope you will tune in for that. Uh, your homework between now and then is as follows. Avoid Apple, abandon Amazon, forget Facebook, and whatever you do, get off Google. And for our outro this evening, it's not a Framptro like we had uh, last week for Frampuary, the, the month that we're in. But instead, we've got, uh, we've got a tectonic listener contribution. David in London is part of Deona, a band, uh, and, uh, and David sent me a recent track that they've just uh, released, part of, part of their new album, and it's called Live Machines. So we're going to hear, <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to hear Live Machines from Deona, and thanks to David in London, and thanks to all of you for listening, and if you'd like more information on the show, go to tectonic.fm, T-E-C-H tonic.fm, for more shows and more information. And I hope I will see you this Saturday. This Friday is Night of Ideas in downtown Jersey City, nightofideas.org. And this Saturday is the Total Trust documentary screening. Hope to see you at one or both of those and certainly see you again for the first marathon show in one week. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for being with me.
Hey, welcome to another week of fun on It's Complicated, an hour of prog and prog adjacent music. I'm Dave Mandel. I'm your host. I'm here every Monday at this time, 7 p.m., following Tectonic. Before I start, I want to say that that few seconds of dead air you heard at the very end of Tectonic was my fault, 100%. I was shuffling equipment around. (laughs) I accidentally pushed a button. It was the take the show off the air button. So there was a few seconds of dead air. Don't blame Mark. Mark is fantastic with technology. It's completely my fault. So with that out of the way, I have some really great music for you this week. And we're going to start with this track from a group called, well, a quote group called Willow Glass. It's actually one person. It's the, it's the brainchild, as they say, of a guy named Andrew Marshall. He's from Yorkshire, England, and I, it's, it's, it's his group. It's a, uh, he's a multi-instrumentalist, and I believe he plays every instrument on this, which is pretty impressive. It, even, if it was, even if there were multiple musicians, many musicians on this, it would be impressive, but all the more impressive because it is, I believe, all the work of Andrew Marshall. So this is going to be Willow Glass. And we're going to hear a track from an album called uh, Book of Hours, released in 2008. This will be a track called The Maythorn Cross from Willow Glass. Thank you. 